I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch things that if this monkey disease finally stops podcast, this is really so bad. out there this would be the the most impactful to podcasters oh yeah now one part it's i was too- thinking the whole movie i was like what about the podcasters oh, this is the scariest <laughs> horror movie i've ever watched um it's actually though like the disease has two parts one it lowers intelligence mm-hmm. would not affect the podcast community yet. no not me no um and then two stops everyone from talking. <laughs> well, we gotta get blogs again. Yeah, Tumblr becomes good. How do you how do you make friends with other uh, males? <laughs> we invite them out for dinner instead of to be guests on your podcast. Like, what would you yeah. talk about? And as we've discussed previously, neither of us think before we talk. So we don't. The first part wouldn't matter. The second part really no. does matter, though. Yeah, it does. And, like, we get by, and, like, a lot of podcasters get by in the first part in that, like, a disease that primarily lowers intelligence would have no impact on us. We get by by editing. <laughs> Most of the dumb stuff we say, you never hear. You never hear it. But the I mean, that's really, why, really dumb stuff we don't know is that dumb, so we yeah. keep it in because we don't know. That gets, it, that gets in there because you don't know it. Well, you don't know. That's an unknown known, like Rumsfeld it's, would say. <laughs> it's a stealth bomber dropping bombs of stupidity. It's a known unknown. That's it's why a, our. That's why guests only come on once because when they hear the unedited versions, they're like, "These people are the fucking worst." And. You, you know, eagle-eared listeners may go, hey, 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 you've had a repeat guest. Well, I got to tell you, they're as dumb as us. <laughs> Everyone who's been on this show more than once is, like, on our level. They're just yeah. fucking idiots. They're as ooh-ooh as we're uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. And we're thematically wanna... resident because yeah. we're, t- we're talking we're, for the last time yeah. ever. <laughs> We're talking about stop building uh, fake drama. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know if we'll do the the one that's coming out in a couple of years. We're doing War of the Planet of the Apes, the or War Four. Sorry, War Four. It's not War of War Four, the Planet of the Apes, the third entry in the reboot, um, the reboot of Planet of the Apes uh, series that started. In 2001, ends here in 2019 for now. I think the fourth one is actually going to take place way in the future. So it's like following this chronology, um, but but doesn't nec- is not necessarily a direct sequel in the way that this is a very self-contained trilogy that really is about uh, Caesar. And I guess the next one's going to be the Force Awakens of yeah. of the of the the Apes uh, series. But why are we doing this? Because we're we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And this theme is we're going to watch these three Planet of the Apes movies. We're going bananas, as we like to say here. We're, at, we're going bananas. 
Um, they don't eat many uh, bananas in this, I would imagine, um, because in this version of the world, Ralph's is closed. They're, they don't eat bananas, which feels like, you know, it's the last movie of the series. It's kind of like the last night of the play. Go all out. Go off book. Have a few jokes that you get fired for. <laughs> I They do throw shit at people. They do. This they, is the first Planet of the Apes movie where not only do they throw poop at, at someone, because they're apes, <laughs> it, it actually is a critical plot point <laughs> to the movie that, that leads to their escape. Yeah. This movie um, is one of the only ones where it's still viable, though, because by the time we get to the old movies, the original series, mm. all of them would be really way... They're too advanced. They'd be really way too grossed out to touch their own feces. <laughs> I think so. And, like, it wouldn't have the same... Like, this is some gross shit. Again, but, uh, yeah. I mean, this... We talked a little bit about this last week. Rewatching this movie, I cannot believe it's rated PG-13. Like, it is... This has rated R by tone, theme, um, everything else. Like, this should be an R-rated movie. Uh, my eight-year-old daughter liked it quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. She was very... I mean, she had a mouth agape in the first 20 minutes of the scene we'll talk about in a second. Uh, she was like, What? Like, they, they killed two of the main people in the first 20 minutes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the the shit they show is, like, they do it twice. So, at first, you're like, oh, man, that was that shit. And the second time, they luxuriate. The camera's like, Matt Reeves is like, I want you to see that shit. It's going to be some black chunks in it. It's going to be fucking disgusting. And, and they, I feel like in the, in the 60s, Planet of the Apes, it would look like a circle rock. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like how blood used to be pink. Um, yeah. Now, now, now it's uh, now the shit looks like shit, and like a really a regrettable post Thanksgiving shit. Well, they've been um, eating a. Pr- I mean, they also have been eating a prison diet. So part of this, I mean, all grain basically. I know it's probably not their fault. I, if anything, I'm kind of shit shaming yeah. the monkeys. When if anything, it's really the result of the colonel. It's a yeah. It's it's really the colonel's fault uh, that they're not having nice, satisfying, solid BMs. But you know that's that's for a different podcast, which rates uh, how much fiber in the diet does the <laughs> does the character get before they spread feces on the wall. BMs um, on a scale of of three to to bam. I um, hate that this is what I thought of, but the, okay. So this movie and the previous movie in particular. Yeah. One of their great coups and one of the reasons these movies still look so great, particularly the latter two, is the way they catch light and reflections and the way that uh, the ice looks and the snow looks incredible. And I hate that I had that same thought when I looked at a pile of shit where I was like, it's kind of catching the light, but shit is really dull, right? But like... But, like, spotlights in prisons are very bright, so it's just mm-hmm. catching, like, the liquid in it is just catching the light just a little bit, but not a lot. And I was like, I'm appreciating something that somebody probably, like, they, they spent, like, weeks of their life at Weta. They spent yeah. weeks of their life devising uh, how the light works, and then they had to customize how that light would work for feces specifically. That's where they get their name, because it's some Weta shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, one thing I like about doing this on video is I can wait until you're drinking. There's no more accidental spit takes. It's like, a, I'm going to try to get a spit take. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this movie comes out in 2019. I mentioned last week it feels 
somewhat informed by what reality felt like in 2019. We're, we're still pre-COVID, but it just feels like – and not that 2022 feels any better, but it really feels like a depressing time, which is different than 2014. 2014, I'm not saying it felt like optimistic or pessimistic, but that's a movie about a way that people can work together and coexist or not. And in that movie, we learn that they're not able to overcome their worst demons or individual actors' worst demons in order to have a coexistent peace in a post-apocalyptic world. And this movie possibly, like, in some ways, I guess, you know, maybe informed by, by the real world is saying, like, what does that look like? And so I talked last week about this is like after Empire Strikes Back if they kill Han at the beginning and the rest of the movie is about a broken – hurt Luke trying to get one last revenge and, and corrupt his own soul. Like, I don't care if I join the dark side. I just need to kill Darth Vader. Like mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's what this movie is. And it is, it's a brutal movie and it really did blow me away. Again, I said this last week, I've had no expectations for these movies. Uh, you know, this came out five years later, which is kind of surprising. We, we didn't talk about it last week. Dawn made was the eighth highest grossing movie in the world. In in 2014, it made 800 million dollars. Like for a sequel to a prequel reboot of a, a of the third attempt at a Planet of the Apes series, that's shocking. It deserved it. It was a great movie, but uh, I mean, it was huge. And so, they, but they waited five years to make a follow up. Yeah, yeah, I it's um it's pretty it's pretty crazy. However, um it's less crazy when you think about the fact that like Matt Reeves by the time Dawn happened, Matt Reeves was such a proven quantity that um he had his dance card filled, right? Like Matt Reeves, uh Andy Circus, like all these guys had like full careers and full upswing at this point, right? And Andy Circus had been a known quantity at this point for nearly 20 years right um the yeah. golem thing had already come out <laughs> um he'd already it already been obvious that he was he was a talent um but there were just maybe less opportunities for him at this point in the 2010s there were tons of mocap opportunities yeah. he was in he was in um he's they, they they're even like hey maybe do. just be a just be a guy yeah maybe yeah. maybe we you know you've proven yourself enough you can take off your little computer mask and just be a be a dude if you could speak in the war, the most abrasive Australian accent, that would be good for our Marvel Marvel thing we're got going on. But you can take off your mask. Also, can you get jacked? I don't know if he was. It's hard to tell if he was jacked before this, but he's pretty jacked in Marvel movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm curious if he was like, you know, who were really strong monkeys. <laughs> and like, also, I keep saying this to black leotards, buddy. You don't need to do that. And he's like, I need to do it. I'm going to correct myself early. I keep saying this is a 2019 movie. That's more because, like, uh, I feel like my brain's in a time warp. This came out in 2017. This wasn't 2019. Oh, so three years between all of them. So, yeah, three years between. I really was sure it was the same recently where I watched All the Money in the World. Um, I feel like I finally caught up with a Ridley Scott movie. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have watched that uh, a year ago before we did our best of 2019. And I looked it up and I'm like... Wait, the Kevin Spacey stuff and, like, him getting removed from that movie, that was 2017. That was five years ago that happened. Like, it feels, like, more recent than that. I don't know if COVID brain made me feel like 2019 was the last real year. And so I 
have have combined a bunch of things uh, into it. But yeah, tw- this is twenty seventeen. Yeah, still yeah. a dark time. The world did not choose peace. <laughs> we did not. Um, but this was right when. Um, so like Matt Reeves like was an exact producer on like you know Felicity and stuff in the in ninety eight to two thousand two. But this Direct was the like Paul right as famously. Tried to the Paul Bear, uh, famously. Um, but this was right when he started to become more of a producer on TV. And this is right. I mean, he produced 10 Cloverfield Lane, like the sequel to Cloverfield in 2016. Um, between uh, the two movies, the uh, Dawn and, and, and War. Um, like, and then as you look at his like filmography, he starts becoming uh, more of like a TV, TV producer uh, before he finally got another chance to show off his big budget chops with uh, the new Batman movie. And now when you look at <laughs> now when you look at his uh, his uh, like filmography, it's like, oh, he's just doing whatever you look him up on deadline. It's like, oh, he's just doing whatever he wants right now. Yeah. Because can I ask you a question? He's made, the studio, that... he's made the suits happy for a long time. Can I ask you a question? Hmm. Have you seen have you seen the new Batman movie? Yeah. You did? Yeah. Oh, I, I haven't watched it yet. It's three. It's three hours. It's too long. I watched it. How was it? It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I don't know why. Love it. I don't know why I'm not excited. Like I haven't watched it. I've had access I, to it. I am not ex- like it's three hours. It feels uh, Batman. I always used to say was my favorite comic book character. I think he. I think he still is because I like his rogues gallery and everyone was super positive on the batman and i cannot seem to muster the energy to want to watch it and i don't it is the casting is the casting is crazy it has that matt reeves touch where almost every shot is gorgeous yeah um it is uh unfortunately uh it is so unfocused that by the time you get to like the fifth act you're like i want to go to bed um which is not something that i can say Mm -hmm. about dawn or were yeah Dawn, uh, sorry, Rise has two, essentially two climaxes that are very close together. Yeah. Get out of the prison, Golden Gate Bridge fight scene. Dawn has essentially two climaxes that are also very close together, though a little bit further apart than Rise, which is um, the the actual battle to take over the San Francisco human compound. And then... Which is a climax no one wants, which is a weird, which is why it's structured so great. Yes. And then there's just the fight with Caesar and Koba. Neither is, is, you know, 20 minutes long, extended millions yeah. of people dying. It's just like they are focused. They get to the point and then they get out. You get to this one. The prison break leads right into the the um, the final battle of the movie. Um, it's a little bit more bloated than the previous ones just by nature. But um, it is two hours and 20 minutes as opposed to I think the first one's an hour 45. Like you're getting you're getting up there. They have a little bit too much to do here because the it's a roving sort of road movie, and then it yeah. becomes a prison movie, um, and then the prison movie turns into a war movie at the end. Like it, yeah. it kind of has a lot more to do than the previous two movies. But regardless, I don't think by the end I'm like super exhausted. Um, but modern blockbusters, even Matt Reeves can fall prey to this. Modern blockbusters are overstuffed. They're trying to set up other franchise entries. Uh, Catwoman has a full fucking plot in that movie. Uh, the Penguin has a full fucking plot. They've got uh, uh, all these other gangsters. There was even they even had to they had to cut an entire sequence that was introducing the Joker. Like mm-hmm. the the new Batman movie. I'm not saying it's terrible. It's obviously better than I think all the Zack Snyder ones. Um, but but 
Uh, I am saying that like it's very easy, particularly in the superhero space, um, for these blockbusters to get bloated and for them to lose their emotional impact and for you to kind of get lost in it. And I don't think Matt Reeves did that for any of these movies. No. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes I feel like like it's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get a shot to make another one of these with the way these studio politics work. So I'm going to use all the villains I would have an idea or a story for. And they let them do that as opposed to like, can I make my Penguin movie and then my Riddler movie and then my cat, like, you know, something like it. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was in, I, I never heard you talk about it, and I, I kind of assumed that you hadn't seen it. I guess so. I had a fairly, um, I had a fairly muddled reaction to it. It was a movie that there were, there was for the first forty minutes. I was like, "Is this the greatest movie ever? Did they finally get back to Christopher Nolan, like you know, impacty, yeah. punchy kind of Batman movies?" And then the movie just continually waters itself down. <laughs> um, yeah. And then at the end, they have to do, they have to do the Riddler plot. It feels like they're like, "Oh yeah." The thing we sold all the ads so, for. So, it's, so it is like the Arkham games? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a Riddler thing going on in here. It, it um, is the Arkham games. because And then it, and then they're like, uh, yeah, I think if you do a bunch of side stuff, you get to see the Joker sequences. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to like shit on a movie that people love and that I haven't even seen it yet. But it is bizarre that I love Matt Reed. I, I literally love all his movies except the Paul Bear. And uh, – you might love the Paul Bear. I love the I love Batman, and I love all the actors in that movie. Great, and cast. I can and I cannot seem to get around to watching it. Um, and I watched, to be clear, just last month, Peter. I watched a hundred and thirty six movies. Yeah, <laughs> I can't can't seem to find time. Anyways, neither here nor there. I think your daughter uh, might get bored during it. It's way too long. <laughs> That, I mean, that was also the thing, like, this probably isn't for Maya yet, and so then I have to pick, I have to really pick my battles. It's too long to watch in a night. Like, kids go to bed at 10, I'm not going to stay up till 1 usually. Anyways, that, I mean, it's more, more information than you require. Uh, so this movie, though, it really is a, it, like, I don't want to lean too hard on, like, how dark and brutal it is, but it, I mean, it is, it is a story of a man or ape in this case having everything taken away from him and then it kind of has like it's got some dirty dozen vibes it's got some war movies hey pete there's a part in this movie that i think is very funny where you're like man they're really going hard on the apocalypse now references which is like it's kind of like it's fine like it's a war movie it's like maybe the best war movie and, like, they're leaning into it pretty hard. They have, like, fucking, you know, Harrelson's in full Colonel Kurtz mode and everything else. And you're like, but it's getting a little obvious. And I love, I love any time a show is like, hey, we also know it's obvious. Because near the end of the movie, they're in the sewers and someone has written in graffiti, ape apocalypse now. Yes. Yes. It's so good. Like I like that 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 actually won me over like how hard they were referencing it. Like I feel like acknowledgement and like explicit acknowledgement kind of covers like okay, well you know what you're doing. You're not trying to rip anything off. You're not trying to get away with this homage like you were saying like, "Yep, we're kind of doing Dirty Dozen, Great Escape." Like we're doing war movies. Like I think that I think that my my take on that, which I I very much like, my take on that is that if I'm having fun with the movie and enjoy the movie at that stage, then something that is that cute, um, yeah, I, I like it. 
Uh, if this, if I hated this movie and I thought it squandered the promise of the last two movies and was a piece of shit, I would have been like, fuck you. Fuck, fuck you. <laughs> no, I actually have a very ex- explicit fuck you uh, comment. So I don't know. Did you ever see Mr. Robot? Mm. I watched the first season. I was like, I'm done with this. I don't need this anymore. Same. Exact same. I know people like to pass it, but the first season is like, oh, you, you, it's so fight clubby. In a way that, like, isn't taking any of the – even the misinterpreted social commentary of Fight Club. It's just, like, it has plot points and has twists. The twist at the end of the first season of Mr. Robot, if you're ever going to listen, is that Christian Slater, his dad, is his imaginary friend. It is the same twist as Fight Club. It's been Fight Clubbing the whole time. And then it, like, Fight Clubs the twist. It's the same goddamn twist. And you're like, fuck this show. And then as they walk out after he realizes that his dad isn't real and it's his imaginary friend, it's his psyche, they play a cover of Where's My Mind? And I was so done with that show. Like, it was not <laughs> like it's like, okay, you are you are acknowledging uh, you're doing Fight Club. Like, at, like I, there was a part of me that appreciated like, okay, you at least you know. At least you yeah. fucking know it's Fight Club, but it's – it's bad. You can't just – you're not – this isn't an homage. You You remade Fight Club. Like, so playing a cover, that's – maybe now I do like it because now the fact they play a cover of Where's My Mind is sort of funny. I, I, for, I forgot about that entirely. That is um, – that is that My is, guess is that's the this. same reason, though, why you didn't watch season two because I was done after that, too. Yeah, that show was just spinning its fucking wheels for forever. Um, yeah. And just make, it was just basically like uh, operating in this like space where it's like, oh, yeah, you're referencing things that really uh, did this better than you. They yeah. weren't TV shows, though. So I guess you're making it longer. Yeah. Yeah. Academy Award winner, Rami Malik. <sighs> God. Mr. Robot himself. Yeah, so, but this movie really is, like, again, I think I think it's a, a pretty gutsy, for lack of a better term. I mean, this movie does not have... Uh, we talked about in the last movie that the ending, while not without cost, still feels like somewhat of a victory. Caesar is still in charge. Most of his loved ones are still safe. He missed out on peace with humans, but he gets a chance to start over again. He started over at the end of Rise. I don't think you can make a case that this one has a happy ending in almost any capacity. Like, it has a... how Like, it has, if anything, maybe the promise that a future generation of apes can do better, which is a good setup for, you know, where Planet of the Apes will eventually go. Um, but it is almost it is not a victory for any of the characters we met. Almost everyone dies. Humanity, what's left of uh, instead of like in the end when they're trying to get the dam up and running. Uh, this is a I, I'm trying to think of another movie that's this sad, for lack of a better word, that that isn't an indie film that's like like what other blockbuster let alone the the capper in a trilogy is like yeah most of your main characters are gonna die not in a heroic way but in a very sad like what was the cost way um two different competing human civilizations are gonna fucking get wiped out and Caesar's going to die with most of his loved ones gone, hoping that maybe his one surviving child can start something better later. Like, 
I mean, the the one climax is the prison break. Yeah, both both this movie and the previous movie kind of uh, are uh, big bummers, um, which is uh, generally uh, not how you um, sell a big budget (laughs) um, Hollywood movie. Um, It it felt like it felt bright. Like when I was realizing how fucking, I mean, dour this movie was, I. I really did love it. And again, I don't think it's dour in a grim, dark, edgelord way. I think it's dour in the fact of like... relief character. <laughs> yes. Played by Steve Zahn. Noted comic relief actor. Um, the third build lead in Saving Silverman, for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> yeah. After Arlie Ermey and Arlie Ermey. But I think this is he exactly... really loud and he was like... <laughs> and everyone was I like, love Neil Diamond too. Jack Black was in that movie. Um, But I think this gets at what you said at the beginning, that these movies really are, like, with the exception of, like, a come and see, are about the cost of war. And cost of war movies are, um, you know, who, I forget, was it Hemingway that said, like, all war movies are pro-war movies? It's it's one of the French New Wave guys. I think it was Truffaut or something. Okay. Um... And then people like denote come and see as an exception to this to that rule. I don't think these are come and see levels of dour. No. But I do think these are anti war movies that are absolutely anti war movies. Nothing about the experience in the last movie or this movie seems fun or that yeah some people died and blah blah blah, but at least I'm cheering a victory at the end. Like these are brutal and they do not flinch towards basically saying, yep, no one's a winner here. Yeah, these movies are these movies are more focused on like individual people within an individual struggle. Um, and then whenever they, the camera kind of zooms out, you can have like maybe a moment of relief towards the end. But when the camera zooms out, the camera zooms in for about 90% of the run time, you're like, not just Caesar's in bad shape, his entire people are in bad shape. Like Everyone's in bad shape. Yeah. The, the, the individuals are reflective, the individual's experiences are reflective of the whole, which it, there's a there's a very brief period in this movie where I forgot that like Caesar was going off in his journey. I was like, oh, at least the rest of the ape tribes are safe. Um, and that ends I up, forgot that too. Yeah, it ends up backfiring entirely. We'll get to that in the plot. But like, even when the movie tries to like keep characters safe, it's like no, actually, um, they're just they're in just as much danger yeah. because they exist in the same world and play by the same rules that Caesar has. Um, well, and even yeah. the like when you find out that this army that um, this army isn't coming to kill the apes, but coming to to kill the colonel, you're like, oh, hey, the cow, you know. The good guys are arriving. Well, they come and then they also are going to kill the apes and then they also get wiped out. Like, there is no cheering, like, when they break people out of prison moment. Like, everyone dies and a few apes escape climbing into trees (laughs) to avoid an avalanche. Like, it is, it is like pain on top of pain. And I, I forgot the exact same thing. So much so that when I was watching it with Maya and they see all those apes in the prison... I told her that those were the other apes they'd been rounding up because I forgot that the colonel had doubled back and took all of the Caesar's, like, clan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally forgot that that was the case. I thought they were just other apes. Um, 
And but they uh, looked for Caesar, and they found a, they found all these other kind of yeah. massive throng of apes yeah. right near where. So yeah. the 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 thing, the thing that you were touching on, I think is is really crucial. Like the 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 pain and the I lost my thought. Sorry. Uh, we can edit that out. Um, keep 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 talking. <laughs> um, I lost my my freaking thought. Sure, I'll keep talking. Peter, what do you want to say about this? <laughs> um, there's a um, there's a sense of I'm trying to get back to where I was at. So the, when we're when we're talking about like the the prison break sequence, you're right. There's like almost no there's almost no relief. Um, the colonel is like a brutal fascist with these like holy war sort of ideas. The um, only oh yeah so the we were talking we were, we were talking last week about like there are almost no major budget blockbusters that are actually anti-war or about uh the triviality of um the triviality of conflict and people trying to just like live their life but like broader fascist or imperialist forces getting in the way and these movies are specifically about that um the matrix movies uh can get kind of in the same ballpark um but generally speaking no superhero movies do that we've talked about this before the one example I came up with, and this isn't perfect because it's not a movie, but like the, where they, where a studio put a lot of money on something that makes people bummed out regularly, but it, it but is ultimately a story, uh, or at least generally a story about um, how uh, war is usually just a byproduct of greed and misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Is is Game of Thrones <laughs> like we used to get big Vietnam movies and those would be spectacle tentpole movies that they would spend a bunch of money on like Platoon and would win win a bunch yeah. of Oscars and people would be like yeah war really sucks, um, <laughs> but um, I think Game of Thrones is like maybe the closest corollary where like we're gonna give you some Me. feel bad entertainment and the ultimate goal of it is like. The ultimate goal of it is is about how uh, people's petty natures um, drive us towards uh, our own self destruction, and people need to listen to each other and, and and communicate better. So I think that's only kind of right because Game of Thrones is still giving you more than enough moments of like true blockbuster gasping type moments. So like even the fact that there's Stark's, zombie armies that you want to die in it is obvious, or like the different. dragons wiping out people, or like. When Cersei blows up everyone that's like, you know, stood in her way in like the ch- that church in like the sixth season, like, or maybe it's, is it, does Marjorie do that? I forget. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. But they still, they're like, you know, I'm the mother of dragons type moments. Like, it's, it's giving you people to root for and like to say, I hope, it's like why we all had going into those final seasons like we all had people that we wanted to win and to get on the throne and we had people that we didn't that we wanted to die that we we're rooting for rooting against obviously in this movie you can say well i'm rooting for caesar and i'm rooting against the colonel mm-hmm. but just like the last movie like in your big blockbuster scene you where they have the big battle you're not rooting for one of those armies. One of those armies is led by Koba to kill people, and the humans are trying to kill the apes. You don't want either of them to win. Yeah. That's not a battle where you, you have want a, them both to go. This isn't worth it to go fuck off and and to go fuck off five hundred miles away from each other, right? Yeah. And this movie too, like you just want Caesar to stop. Like 
even at the end when he goes back again, there's a whole movie of him learning his lesson about not going back to kill this person. The like revenge has threatened to wipe out everything he's built and he's gained nothing for. He goes back again. Like it is you just are constantly not rooting for anyone. You're rooting for it to be over. And then, like, maybe you could say, oh, good, the army's there to save them. Thank God. And then the army goes and starts shooting at the apes, too. Like, it is a constant thing of, like, I just want this to be over as opposed to I have some stake in someone being victorious. Like, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Big, the biggest moment of, like, rah, rah, rahism that – and I think it's the only moment in this movie where, like, you're getting kind of those Game of Thrones or even, like, um, just general war movie, like, fist in the air moments is when – Caesar throws the uh, is when the uh, donkey turns the gun uh, on or turns his gun on the guy who's about to kill Caesar mm-hmm. and uh, and then donkey gets killed Caesar gets shot with an arrow yep and which ends up killing him <laughs> P.S. and like the only mild rah 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 moment is you get that he does get the grenade off to blow up the people at the last second like that is the one like it's still something to cheer for. Yeah, yeah, and I and it's not it's not obviously a perfect comparison. Um, my point was that it needs to be though. I think. So, if you're gonna bring it on the show, I need that's perfect the, comparisons. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Is that there there are almost there's no blockbuster yeah. series that does what this is doing. Yeah. Um. There's almost no blockbuster series that is has truly like I think anti-imperialist goals. I think the reason that yeah. brought up Game of Thrones because at the end of Game of Thrones it was like it doesn't matter if you thought that Danny was the was the your noble queen she did horrifying shit to get to where she was at and she will continue to do horrifying shit until she dies. Right. That's yeah. the that's the 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 whole the whole deal. Right. Like. Um, I don't think that, but they spent, the, the other goal is they spent a ton of money on it and the battle sequences make you feel sad and you just want them to yeah. be over. That was yeah. more what I was drawing comparison to. There is no comparison in the movie space that I could come up with over these yeah. past few weeks that I can think of. And that's what makes these movies so special. But the weird thing is that they're weirdly rewatchable because they're stories of, they're stories of exodus and survival. They're stories of, 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 of human resolve, whether or not it's in a human or not. They're stories yeah. of uh, people trying to understand one another, whether or not they're both people. Um, well, and they're and, filled with great performances and yeah. great moments. And like, yeah, I mean, they're amazingly directed. The special effects still look really good. I agree. They, they are very rewatchable, but watching them in such close proximity, which is the first time I've ever done this. I think I watched them all when they came out and had like an occasional rewatch, maybe one or two, but I've never watched them in close succession. Like you feel, I think more pain from that. Not only because you know where Dawn is leading, as I talked about last week, but also just like think back to that first hour of rise of the planet of the apes. When it's just about a kind of a happy monkey in this happy family, with a grand, with a father who is getting better from his illness, and like you know, just people letting a monkey go swing in the trees. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's most of that movie, and it ends with just like you know, everything's been taken from from him, and he dies with a mild sense of maybe things will be better, but 
what what hope could he really have at this point? Yeah, and and, and so that, that's you're getting to like the, what the the central theme of this movie is is uh, Caesar is trying to not become Koba. It's literally said yeah. out loud, um, and the idea is 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 like you know pretty basic, but. The way that the movie has centered Caesar's experience and Caesar's individuals that that he loves in these past two movies and has made the people that remain loyal to him like so val- valuable makes their deaths hurt more and it makes his corruption into something approaching Koba way more uh, painful to watch and there's visual signifiers. Yeah, I mean, he says at the end, "I am Koba." He doesn't reject it. He he no. goes back. He's like, yeah. "Yep, you're, yeah." And there's visual signifiers, right? Like um, in Dawn, the use of automatic weapons was seen as as a corruption. It was seen as as, as apes becoming the worst part of humans, right? Um, these movies are anti-gun. <laughs> and then by this, and then at, 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 by that time, the second act is kicking into this movie. Um, Caesar is on horseback toting a shotgun. Yeah. Um, and it's it feels wrong. Um, <laughs> Well, the first part of this movie, too, it's full on guns versus guns, bodies strewn everywhere. Yeah. Right. When they're attacking the the when they're trying to get Caesar, when the colonel's army is like it's it's like a brutal opening battle scene where no one wins. Just dead bodies. Caesar's gray and sad. They're literally marching through these tunnels of troops like that's that's what his life is now. Yeah, yeah. There's there's first person shots that are clearly reminiscent of like a Paths of Glory or a World yeah. War One movie. Where like, oh yeah, know, seeing the troops after a trench battle kind of deal. Yep. 100%. And Caesar has has Caesar has accepted bombs and guns as a necessity of war. Like that corruption is in him before the movie even starts because he's he's accepting that like if I want to if I want my people to survive, I kind of have to accept that we're going to need to adopt some of the methods. We need to kind of fight the war a little bit as 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 uh, people uh, if we're going to fit win a war against people. Um, yeah. So well, that, still trying to show mercy that, as he says, you know, later on, the, his he, he lets some troops go, which we'll talk about here in just a second. And at the end, he's like, "That was my mistake." Trying to show mercy, trying to do yeah. any of that stuff like that got what did what did it get me? Got and my family killed. That is a mirror, I think, of Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Um, where same part of Ryan fe- features the. This. I mean, it is it is definitely doing the the earn this thing at the end. Yeah. But do you remember the um, Jewish soldier um, is killed by a POW that Tom Hanks's character? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Um, he stabbed through the chest very slowly. It's horrifying. Um, I always think of that as as a as, as a very interesting like commentary on war, where it's like that act of mercy ended up biting them in in the ass, but it's more complicated and messy than that, right? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it wasn't just that like, oh, you shouldn't show show mercy, execute everyone. It's like that like, yeah. this is this is a this is a story of of how war corrupts everybody, and acts of mercy are very often lost because the war is this machine that continually needs to be fed and fed and fed. It doesn't mean that mercy has no value. It doesn't mean that mercy is pointless. Um, but it does mean that you're that does, just because you showed an act of mercy doesn't mean that the 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 grander war is going to respect that. Um, yeah, well, that's going scene, to get right? better See- or, or more um, noble because you performed a noble yeah. act. Well, I mean, that's Caesar says that explicitly, right? He calls he chastises the colonel for being without mercy, while also recognizing that his mercy 
Because the colonel's like, well, you're no better than me. You're without mercy. He goes, I showed you mercy when I let your troops go and you came back and killed my wife. And, like, that's him chastising the colonel for being merciless while also recognizing that his mercy is what cost him everything. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a it's a it's a, it's a fun note to go out on. Uh, and speaking of that, let's we're already starting to get in the plot, so let's do it. Peter, are you ready to go through what happens during the uh, War of the Planet of the Apes? Um, ooh, ooh, ee, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, tang, tang, what do I want to bang, bang, all of that, yep. Hey, you want to hear a good joke? Nobody speak, nobody get choked. A couple of years after they do a quick recap of the first two movies, if you're a lunatic and are coming into the third part of a trilogy without saying the first two. I will uh, say the naming convention, sometimes you're like, I, I think people probably thought Dawn. Like, Dawn's the beginning of the day. That must be the first one. Yeah, first you Dawn and then you Rise. They got that backwards. <laughs> we'll blame Rise we'll blame before Dawn? Are you a farmer? <laughs> we're we're going to blame Rupert. That's why he was kicked out of the series. Uh, but yeah, Definitely don't do war before dawn, though. I mean, it's it just starts with this brutal like battle scene, right? It's 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 uh, in in a in a kind of like a jungle warfare. People are killed. The apes are are you know getting slaughtered again. It's not there's not anything like to cheer here. There's just bodies strewn everywhere. Matt Reeves is very good at focusing on the cost of war. He doesn't give you, at least in this scene, any big moments to get excited about, right? The only thing is, like, there's some mild reinforcements that come up, but those mild reinforcements, like, the first wave of those get shot and bloodied up, and you're just, like, seeing all these fucking apes and horses getting mowed down. You'd have to be a pretty sick fuck to be like, I love this. This is great. <laughs> love these battle scenes. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end, there's a few troops that are alive. They say they're going to bring them to Caesar. And like you said, it's like this trench warfare scene, right? They kind of march him back. We see Caesar, who is like old and gray. He's got white hair. The CGI has gotten even better. And Andy Serkis is playing with just like this. Yeah, this war veteran whose existence, as you find, is being hunted by these troops led by Woody Harrelson, who are ostensibly called by uh, by Gary Oldman to go wipe out these apes that were attacking humans. We find out, though, that that's, they're not just trying to be like, hey, we know there's some evil apes and we're wiping it out. I'm going to say this part now because this informs so much of what's going to come. So Woody Harrelson plays the colonel who's leading this group. He's amazing in this movie. Every time I see Woody Harrelson playing an evil guy or a serious person, I still always remember, like, I mean, I was one of those people that watched Cheers. It was one of the few shows my parents loved. So it is it is always like, it's crazy that he, they're like, we need a Colonel Kurtz type. Get Woody Harrelson from Cheers. I still have those moments, even though obviously he's been doing this for, I, for most of his career. I wonder if since this was a post... Um True Detective and Rampart and, you know, he did a bunch of darker roles in the, yeah. like, uh, 2010s, like, early 2010s. Like, I'm yeah. curious if this was him being like, oh, that's a pathway for the second half of my career. Or third I mean, half, maybe, third but I mean, right career. after. Like, I want to play, I want to play darker, fuck. He's not a villain in True Detective, but he's fucked up. He's a domestic I mean, abuser. He's a, yeah. he's, he's a bad husband. Like, he's, he's a piece of shit. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, Woody could have – it's kind of amazing because Woody was, you know, 
a dumb, likable person that could have easily typecast him. But, I mean, right after... So, I mean, Cheers is 93, it ends. And right after that, 94, he does Natural Born Killers. So he seemed very focused on, like, I need to change my persona very quickly. True, um, true. But, so. he did, but he did a bunch of, he did a bunch of like, really placid movies in the 2000s. He didn't do Lake Placid. He did a bunch of placid movies Could've. in the 2000s where, like, he was just kind of playing, like, what off the Woody Harrelson, you know. Archetype. A little bit, Yeah. Um, like I'm, I'm a goofy, lovable guy. Um, did he? Cause he was doing stuff like money train. He's doing action stuff. He's doing white man can't jump. Yeah. All that um, stuff is, but all that stuff is like cute. Like, you know, a little bit. He's definitely, he's playing more comedic characters. But he's playing like your cute, lovable guy. He's a little bit dumb, but he's got like street smarts. Yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Th- I mean, this guy is like, he, he does a fantastic job of being just a completely, you know, he, yeah, while still being like well-smoking and articulate and not like someone who's like evil has like, I don't know, the, it has a vision. It's not like, it's not like he's not punching at everything. He's not like an anger. He's just like, this is my vision of the world and I'm fine articulating that and I'm going to motivate people to do that. But like for my – I have my own sense of ethics, which of course are unethical to anyone else. But he is like living by this like irredeemable piece of shit code. And and, yeah. and Woody Harrelson's very good at, at doing that in a way that feels very menacing and evil while still being like, man, you could see why a reasonable – or a, a, someone could be convinced because on paper he's very reasonable and calm. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, yeah, because he's he has a, a confidence in his in his dogma that um and that's yeah. convincing to people, particularly people who have survived um a global plague, um and they already if there were army uh remainders, then they were um broken down in some way by basic yeah. training and boot camp and war to be like I listen to superior officers. Yeah. Um and so if you're in a situation where it's like we're like we, I need to like he basically forms a cult around himself and you can understand how that cult could form so um, yeah. when you when we were first introduced to the soldiers they're they're explicitly identified not as like survivors they're identified as on a, an extermination mission they yes. they are they're literally wearing helmets that say monkey killer one of them ha- has a, a helmet that says yeah very full for, metal jacket yeah yeah bedtime for bonzo did you see that yeah, i know i did i loved it so i was in my notes <laughs> i was like that's that and apocalypse now feel like matt reeves couldn't fucking control himself like <laughs> it does feel like we're yeah i mean it feels like they're like we no, no matter who wrote whatever. that <laughs> matt reeves couldn't control himself yeah um but that's so skipping it you don't find this out to like an hour 15 hour 20 minutes into the movie you see hints of it but essentially part of the reason why he's acting like this and why he's like arranged this cult that as we find out even another army is trying to kill him is that having lived through one virus laden apocalypse it's actually a new form of the virus now we don't know because uh woody harrelson's character the colonel is not a scientist but he believes that this what's happening is that the Simeon flu has mutated and is reinfecting people. There's a new strain of it out that is reinfecting people. Doesn't infect apes where they think this, you know, Simeon flu comes from. Um, But it does make people dumb or their intelligence goes down. Um, And it makes them unable to speak anymore. So he sees this as, again, that man played with science 
and we they were punished for it. That humans were cast down, apes were risen up, and he sees that as a perversion of nature, that he is in his holy mission is there to make right. He will brutally kill. He wants to brutally exterminate all the apes because he feels like their uh, elevation into the evolutionary chatter was not natural, was done by uh, by humans trying to play God. So he wants to exterminate all the apes that there is. Uh, and he is merciless when it comes to anyone in his own troops contracting the virus. If they contract the virus, as we find out later, even his own son, he killed them rather than, than risk another apocalyptic humanity plague. He feels that humanity will be wiped out without um, without extreme measures. And, uh, I mean, he is eventually right on that note. But that is why he is aggressively pursuing him. He may have got the call from Gary Oldman to come down and note that here's where all these apes are. But his mission isn't predicated on keeping humans safe, at least like these humans. It's predicated on uh, keeping humans safe from the evolution of this virus. Yeah, he has this sort of – he also has some there's sort of fascist echoes of like replacement theory. <laughs> yeah. He's like, if I don't do some sort of grand gesture, grand violent gesture, uh, man will be replaced from the earth. Um, yeah. And, and uh, the – the, the, the sort of um, willingness, the cult-like willingness, religious willingness to act off of these hunchy half sciences um, is... Uh, yeah, I mean, it could common. just be a new virus. Like, it, it, There's no proof that it has anything to do or can reinfect. It, actually, the fact that the virus is all in them and they're immune actually probably means it has nothing to do with any of this. But they don't... You know, he he's decided that that's what it is, that this is a continued judgment by letting these apes um, exist and it's his mission to eradicate them and then humans will have a chance yeah. uh, again. So everybody that everybody that uh, survived um, everybody all of his soldiers are um, they are diehards because uh, people that had the mutinous or they were afraid for their family soldiers that you know were with them or people that were with them they ran off into the hills um which is you know there's a, a father and daughter we meet at, at this point uh, or at, earlier in the movie um and he says it will be a planet of apes and we will become your cattle like it is yeah. it is something that uh uh rick friend of the show rick kelly and i have have spent long long hours talking about which is like mm -hmm. this idea that um, horror and genre fiction can often be a way to unlock um, our relationship with animals. Mm -hmm. um, and there's movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and movies about cannibalism uh, that actually kind of are commentaries about how we treat um, the meat in our meat industry. This isn't yeah. about cannibalism or, or, or whatever. This is actually kind of a commentary about um, zoos and work animals. Yeah. Um, so like horses, uh, are, are the most obvious example, but we also have dogs. Like we have, um, we have species on the earth that we have determined to be a uh, beast of labor. Um, and this kind of movie is hinting at like a broader point, which is like, oh, when we become the underclass, you'll just treat us this way. Yeah. I mean, that's the joke even about like replacement theory, right? Where it's like 
We'll be treated like cattle. Oh, what's wrong with the way cattle's treated? Anything that you guys are doing that you wouldn't want repeated to you? Or like, yeah. we'll be second-class citizens in our own country. Oh, what is that? Why would – or the minority. Like, yeah. the, we'll be in a minority in our own country. Like, yes. oh, what? why? why? How does this country treat minorities? Bad? Yeah. Why Why would you be worried about that? Um, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. That That's a good call. So, anyways, so he does let these soldiers go and says – tries to explain, like – Thinking once again that they'll be reasonable, that there's a way back out of this conflict, that we just want to exist. If the colonel leaves us alone, we're not trying to kill any of you. Not realizing that, again, the colonel is an ideologue who does not care about getting left alone. He's on a mission to exterminate them. Um, This ends – this is 20 minutes into the movie. They go back. uh, uh, Blue Eyes, his son – uh, has just come back from a scouting mission looking for a more hidden place for them to live. There's some debate about how they're going to get over there. His other son, Cornelius, is a baby. Uh, um, Blue Eyes has a girlfriend. And there's a lot of, like, these, you know, touching, like, oh, yeah, these are these are characters we care about. They have a familial relationships. Uh, Rocket and, um, and uh, Maurice are all still there. And they're like, you know, if anything, the the – the violence has brought them closer together and they appreciate their loved ones more. Uh, that next scene is a horrifying scene where uh, the colonel himself and a few of his uh, night troopers break into their compound um, and end up – the colonel's trying to kill Caesar but instead m- mistakes Blue Eyes, who is with Cor- – who is sleeping next to Cornelia, the mom, uh, for Caesar and shoots both of them. And so Caesar walks into a scene of his wife and his oldest son murdered. Uh, he jumps up after the colonel and the colonel gets away. And yeah, I mean, the two, two <laughs> blue eyes who is like maybe the, the second main character in the last movie. And obviously like Judy Greer, who doesn't have much to do, who plays his wife, are murdered in the first 20 minutes of this movie. Essentially underlining the fact that this movie is not going to be a movie that Caesar gets away from clean. The die that was cast in the last movie is going to have reverberations into what what the future Planet of the Apes looks like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The um, brutal and, uh, scene. Another, just, brutal I mean, scene. just gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's it's um it's not exciting. There's one shot of an ape getting to kill one of the commandos and yeah. it's I think it's Rocket and it's like it's like brutal. Like it, it's it's a long thrashing, right, to make sure the guy is actually down. And it's it's not like it goes beyond. There's something we've talked about in previous episodes where like something can be like entertaining and cool, but there is like a point of violence where it goes beyond that, and you're like, oh yeah, th- this oh. is it. Yeah, this is <laughs> bro, chill out. Um, yeah, too much. Yeah, and they even are doing Apocalypse Now re- references with the fact that, I mean, Woody Harrelson is bald, so this was maybe, you know, out of their hands. But um, they, the fact that he's uh, bald, constantly uh, shaving his head with a, a straight razor later in the movie. Is and doing the Marlon Brando head rub to make sure it's, like, slick. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's obviously a reference. That, but the um, when he's doing the, um, the go up the ladder, he has a distinctive face paint, which is reference oh, yeah. Mar- Martin Sheen's black Martin face Sheen's, paint. Yeah. The killing of Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to go on a limb and say Matt Reeves has seen Apocalypse Now at least. 
He's at least heard of it. My guess is he liked the back of the box. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So they are like, well, so next they're going. Like the apes are like, we're going to go to this place. We know it's not great to have to travel in the winter. But, I mean, at this point, literally the colonel has come into our house and murdered people. Uh, Caesar doesn't know yet that they were trying to kill him. Um, and he's like, I am not going to move on for this. I'm going to leave my other son Cornelius with the with the lady chimp that uh, Blue Eyes was dating or about to get married to. Um, I, I'm saying dating. My asked me, she's like, so are they dating? And I'm like, well, I don't. Mating is what I think they call it in chimp culture. I'm not. I'm not sure if they've now have evolved into some level of courtship. I don't know what to. I don't know what to call them. They're they're not sleeping in the same bed. I I don't know. They um, are in the same tree. It is interesting. Caesar refers to Cornelia as his wife. Yeah. So they have adopted some sort of monogamous standards. Yeah. I don't think they are at the wife part yet. It's no. But I, it does feel weird to be like they're dating. <laughs> interesting. I don't know. Um, I also think anyway. they've maybe spent like a few weeks together. Like they're just figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to. You, nothing needs to get official. Just because yeah. it's the apocalypse and your monkeys, um, so they're. I mean, he like so you know uh, Cornelius, his son, is like screaming, and he, of course, like it's it's that thing of like instead of holding tighter to the family that he has, he is going to go try to avenge the the family that has been taken from him. Um, so he he runs off. All the apes are like freaking out because they're at their lowest moment. He's been their leader for fifteen years, and he's like. I'm going to go on my own personal quest of vengeance. You guys go find the new home. I'm going to catch up with you. Because there's like a promised land that's been scouted already. Yeah, that that his son found. Yes. Uh, blue eyes. Um, people don't have a lot. Of, I mean, this is a whole fucking army camp they're going to, and they're not sure where it is. So a lot of people don't have a lot of confidence that he's ever coming back. And so Maurice, um, I forget the gorilla's name. Uh, I forgot it too because it's not the gorilla from the first it's not, movie. It's not the gorilla from the first movie. Yep. Um, also, I will say this. I don't have another place for it. Um, I know that like the leaders get to ride horses, which still feels like an unfair class system. Um, I imagine that gorilla's rough on the horse. <laughs> we were we were talking about this. How we were like, okay, so like a chimp on a horse is probably fine, but like there that orangutan and that that gorilla, gorilla especially is like that's so good. You're gonna go through horses probably at very high rates, and I don't know. Like I know you have domesticated horses, but at some point you're gonna have to start domesticating horses, and that's gonna be a whole thing. Yeah, like yeah, you're gonna have I to mean, domesticate the biggest horses you can find. Also, where are the horses when you guys are in the trees? I mean, these are questions that are for a later time. The horses seem to like them. They hang out. They do hang out. Could And I suppose a lot of times they are traversing where there's no trees, where theoretically the horses do go faster. But still, like, people use horses because how slow we are. Yeah. As proven many times in this movie, chimps can be very fast if they... Yeah. Especially compared to humans. Um, but anyways... So, Rocket, uh, the orangutan, new gorilla are like, we're going with you. He tries to talk them out of another quest. And they're like, no, like, we're, we're going to be there for each other. And they immediately, to your point, start alluding to, like, we can't let this be a Koba thing. Like, where you are, we'll do anything for revenge. So, they're trying to reframe it as, like, this is the only way to protect the apes, right? This isn't about revenge. We need to go do this to perfect. 
I think that's what Rocket and Maurice are telling each other. So they find these, these humans. They also find a little girl who can't speak, who Maurice takes to. Uh, Maurice was all... Uh, Maurice and... Um, I don't think we talked about this in, Mar- in Rise, but Maurice and Caesar share a commonality in that they were like... I think Maurice was like a well... Like, like well-loved uh, circus animal or something that, like, played with children. Or, like, because he knows sign language when they meet and he has an affinity for humans, which is why he befriended the the kid in um, Dawn and obviously takes to this, this nine-year-old girl who can't speak. Um, he's more of the intellectual. The, he's the moral center of the movie. He, he's 100%. Very, he's very much trying to be um, – he's, he's between two worlds the way Caesar is, uh, whereas yep. a lot of them, all their only experience with humans was being fed and abused by them. Yep. But he is more passive. He is, he, he is less um, – he's not trying to be the leader. He's not trying to – he just wants to exist. And again, yeah, he was, the, he was the guy that had the schools in Dawn and was trying to teach – um, very much playing the Dr. Zayas-like role, which obviously Dr. Zayas is an orangutan, so um, kind of the, the intellectual <laughs> class that they that they end up forming is kind of, I guess, obviously inspired through Maurice here. They are, um, they are, they are, get, they get away from it a little bit in, in these movies, but they do definitely adhere to the strange, like, race class system that they have in yeah. the new ones like where they're like the gorillas are the war loving ones and you're like are they? they're the muscle yeah and chimps are just the chimps are just like they're like yeah they're like the standard they're like the white people they're the default i don't they're the, know they're the, they're so, weird their society's default um i don't think that i'm just saying like from just to be clear i'm yeah. not saying that white people are society's default i'm just saying that in the class system the united states has yes um uh, but, um, yeah, so, and the orangutans are the brains. Um, orangutans. Do you think there's, like, there's an orangutan that's, like, like, I want to go work at the construction queue, and they're like, you're an orangutan. You go to college <laughs> like the rest of us. You're going to run Leave- the nuclear power plant. <laughs> Leave the ditch digging to the gorillas. They're the <laughs> ones who are guarding the crops, digging the dishes. Um, Burn no orangutans. the witches. Slam in the back of the Dracula. God damn it. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, the next the next incident that happens, you know, they're they're trying to figure out like where the colonel is. They don't know. They find uh, this other ape called Bad Ape, who's played by Steve Zahn, who is part of what this is trying to show is that yes, all the apes got smart, right? Like it didn't matter. No one knows them. This isn't part of their clan. The virus made all apes smart, which is what is especially concerning the colonel. He's he's like a com. He's definitely a co- comedy relief figure, but I don't. I like that he is very unSteve Zahn like that. He's like quiet and pathetic and scared, as opposed to like being overt. Even the very the scenes that I do think are funny, where he's like. I don't want to go do that. And then like, you know, someone growls at him and he's like, okay, let's do it. Are played very quietly. It's like subtle. And like, I actually really like Steve Zahn, but Steve Zahn tends to go really big. And this could have been a very big part. And I like how um, repressed his, you know, his, his uh, comic relief attempts are. Yeah. There's, he, he does fall over a few too many times for my taste. Uh, but, uh, him wearing clothes, I think is like a nice touch. Like, yeah. And, and, and the fact that he, um, is a character of action. He's just not just like a useless goofball. Yeah. 
that's the thing is these movies are really good about like okay we're introducing this character to prove a point yes but we're not just going to dispense with them or throw them into the monkey the monkey uh pile after this um this barrel of monkeys after this we're going to continue to to develop them as a character and then their their characteristics are going to come out of their specific experiences it's the same thing with nova like um the little girl another callback yeah another name callback um that one that one i was a little bit like okay like are there humans in the future that are also handing down this name and how are they doing it well they wouldn't be though right aren't they're not verbally um, yeah (laughs) aren't the aren't the apes naming the humans like you would a pet yeah but he find i I haven't seen the original in long enough how does he find even find out her name is nova i don't remember yeah, whatever. That was the only one that made me a little bit. It kind of reminded me. It would have been. It would have been postman? better if they called her Doctor Zayas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ever seen the Postman? Yeah. Isn't there a character who's named after a car that he a car I saw the, on the side of a highway? I saw the Postman in 1997. There's <laughs> a remember? character named like Chevy Impala V2 or something. I'm sure that movie's terrible. The book is really good. Uh, That's why I saw the movie. Um. So yeah, so they but but bad bad ape. Also, Maya is a, it's funny I watched this with Maya, but Maya didn't realize that his his name was Bad Ape, and I said it like, and Maya looked at me like I was making a very unfair judgment call. To this character, <laughs> I had to exp- I had to explain that that was his name, and then she she looked like the forgiving face. She's like, he's very nice. Like why would you, <laughs> why would you call him the bad ape? Um, anyway, so they um, they eventually go and they uh, they see these like apes that are hung up like fucking crucified on these like X's, which is just like harrowing. And they go talk to one because they're they're the apes from his party, and they look down in this like military compound, and there's just cages everywhere of apes. Uh, Caesar gets captured um, and has you know has a few one of a few face to faces with the colonel, where the colonel both explains what's going on here like um and notes like uh you know why why did you do this why why didn't you do that it's his, in his second confrontation one-on-one where caesar pieces together that um the other army that he thinks is coming to support the colonel to wipe out the apes is actually coming to him and so he hasn't wiped out these apes yet only because while they're keeping their distance he wants them to build defenses because this other army that's coming, um, the colonel needs to wipe out. And so he needs to use the apes to help with the manual labor because so many of their – they don't have that many people left. And so they're using the apes. The other interesting thing here is that some, they are using – and you saw this at the beginning too. They're using some of the apes um, and gorillas, one of them named Donkey, um, because the apes that were aligned with Koba – Many of them, they were not welcomed back. And even if Caesar had said they were welcomed back, they were convinced that Caesar was going to kill them ultimately. And so they left. For loyalty. Yeah. And so they left and kind of joined with the colonel is definitely the wrong term because they're, as noted, like they're treated like slaves and like they're abused. And like uh, this gorilla has donkey like carved into his back. Uh, which Caesar constantly, you know, they all branding like, like horses, but even more brutal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at one point, you know, again, they, he has this kind of like confrontation with the colonel, and the colonel 
is like, hey, there's this like harrowing line that sends Caesar over the edge where he's like, hey, I didn't mean to kill. I, I was there to kill you. I didn't mean to kill your wife and your son. And he explains his holy war and what he's trying to do. But I'm glad that I did that so that I don't have to live in this, you know, perversion of a society you're trying to create. And like, and then Caesar obviously flips out at that. He's like, you're just so emotional. I killed my son. Like, he's like, I will, I do what it takes to protect my species and you, you, you won't because you're too ruled by emotions. But that idea of like, hey, I'm going to level with you. I didn't mean to kill your son, but I'm glad I did. Is like, God, that's some brutal shit. Yeah. And and, and I, I think it's good to note that um, these movies are generally, they don't really suffer like uh, sentimentality. And yeah. so you're like, this utterly unsentimental character, why would he keep Caesar around? And it's a question that you ask throughout the movie. And there's a few answers. One is that if he kills Caesar, the populace may be harder to control now that they know Caesar's yep. alive because they're so loyal to him. Yeah. Two, two is that he thinks Caesar could be a good lever against them. But I think yep. three is, is the most compelling, which is that the colonel has become such an expert at the brainwash. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the you will bend the knee or you will get a bullet that he's like. I'm not giving up on him. He's going to he's going to he's going to bend. He's my new project. If he's smart enough to understand what I'm saying and have a conversation with me, he's my new project. I'm going to make him carry rocks just like the rest of the fuckers. Like he Yeah. I, I think it, it's a personal thing for him that it's 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 a it's a project for him to carry on. There's I'm sure there's pragmatic reasons sure that to you know, an argument to not kill him in front of his his own population. Like you don't want to yeah. want to you know remove their reason for living um too yeah. too prematurely but he he's so he's such a cult-like devotion to breaking people and reforming them in his image so i think you're hitting on it i actually think though it's a little different um i think that you know his whole thing is that humans are the right possessors of intelligence right and they are the society that's supposed to flourish and through mankind's uh, lack of humility caused this perversion of a species to exist that is mimicking human intelligence yeah. but doesn't actually possess the same, you know, call it a soul, whatever you else. And so I think recognizing that Caesar is in some ways the smartest and insightful and strategic and like a kind of a worthy opponent, I think he's keeping them around to – in the same way he's trying to beat the apes and the other humans on a macro level, I think this is his personal way to prove that he is the species that deserves to inherit the earth, right? He needs to beat Caesar individually to prove to himself that he is the deserving uh, person to to and and is and there there thereby the deserving species to to rule the planet, and so. Yeah, it's that kind of like it's it's that arrogant pride. Like he could kill him, he could do a lot of things to remove him as a threat, but he if he did that when he has an easy upper hand, what has he proven to himself that he is better than Caesar? And ultimately he needs to be better than Caesar because that's his whole message. That humans are better than apes, and this is that on an individual um on an individual scale. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. The 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 
but think about the things that he makes Caesar go through. A lot of it's like phys- physically arduous tasks, right? Oh, yeah. If you survive. And I think that he's like in his mind, he's like, I am putting him through this suffering because I have put myself through suffering. And yeah, I think it's true, too. Like he he is um, he he's kind of I think it's it's he's kind of doing both at the same time. Right. He's kind of like yeah. mir- tr- he's kind of making mir- mirrors of, of Caesar, which is like he's almost making Caesar better as he's um, as he's trying to subjugate him. Yeah. Also, I mean, what's interesting is that with the exception of the human who's a shithead to donkey, um, and there's like one other guy who you're like, oh, is he maybe a good guy who's regretting the cult that he's in? Like, the colonel doesn't have like a right hand man that he's constantly talking about. Like, he is alone and isolated. Yeah. And and there an is a little bit, and yeah. he's he's got all the the trademarks of a of a of a true. A true uh, maniacal totalitarian figure, which is yeah. that they don't trust people to do anything. No. He lit. There's no. There's no strategic reason why he should be trusted with the mission to go kill Caesar. Right at the beginning of the movie. No. But I mean, it's obviously more Hollywood dramatic. Yeah. But like, he doesn't trust anybody to delegate. He does. He does everything himself. He does hands-on training. He breaks Caesar himself. He oversees the building of the wall. He speaks to the troops every morning. Like he doesn't delegate. He doesn't do shit. He, he he's yeah. just like I will. I will make eye contact with each individual one of you every fucking day to make sure each one of you is doing your job. Yep, a hundred percent. Which is a psychopath uh, thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does put uh, Caesar first in there to just work in the quarry. Um, uh, a guy like an old orangutan, uh, causes a little bit of a fall and he gets whipped again, even, even in the, the work fields, there's the Colonel like directing you whip that person. Again, there's no, there's no right hand man who's ordering. It's, it's all him. Yeah. Um, which Caesar helps keep the movie, not be four hours, but yeah, <laughs> that's true too. Um, Caesar immediately is like, no. And he, just, you know, calmly pulls him up and then starts whipping Caesar and then is like, tell them to get back to work. And he grits his teeth and won't say it. And uh, 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 the colonel kills the orangutan that he tried to save, just shoots him mercilessly in the head, puts the gun to Caesar's head and goes, no, I need you to tell them and starts counting down from five. Um, and Blue Eyes' girlfriend says, let's get back to work. So he never he never breaks. He never says that he's stubborn, even to the point of getting himself killed, as opposed to trying to help his team. And it's the rest of the apes that kind of support him by saying, we don't need to make him compromise in any way. But, like, I, I actually feel like that's a – that tells you, again, how far Caesar's gone. Like, he he's willing to die. He's, he's, in, a, he's in a better position to – get people food and water that's the other thing they haven't been feeding them and you know because because uh in some ways the colonel's talking to him and having conversations with him in a way he's not doing the other apes caesar's willing to die rather than than let this guy win in one moment again he is not he's not giving up his hate in any capacity even for a moment uh it's a cool scene though but not good for Caesar as a character. Yeah. Um, Can I actually talk about the soldiers really quickly? My only, yeah. my only real major gripe with this movie, I, I occasionally find Bad Ape kind of annoying, but like not enough to sink the movie. I think overall Bad Ape is, is a win. Um, yeah. I think that the movie does a great job of establishing this cult, particularly like they have these strange rituals. Like yeah. they do this like oorah thing in the beginning of every day and then they charge at the fences and they like are really trying to get yeah. their aggression up and there's, 
painted sayings all over the military camp. Like, they really do a good job establishing the cult. The problem is, <laughs> this cult is, in terms of film mechanics, they're... They seem to, like, disappear. Like, when the prison break comes, which we'll get to in a moment, they're, like, not around watching any of this shit happen. Like, it's very weird. And there's not many members of the individual military that we get to know. Like, it feels like feels like the apes have the run of the camp at a certain point. So I do think that's the point, though, and why – I mean, he'd love to exterminate the apes. There's just not that many of them. Like, you do see a scene where there's, like, a few rows of them, but there's maybe, like, 70 total guys. Like, it's it not one to one with the apes, though. Uh, I mean, I, there might be 70 total apes. I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think there's but that many like more apes. <laughs> 30 guys with machine guns walking around the perimeter of the camp I, I, would be the impression you would get. And then the other 35 are sleeping or whatever. Um, yeah, maybe. And, and, but like, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. The impression it's, that there are anybody in the camp except for like three guys during most of the prison break sequences because like the movie doesn't have time to figure out guard rotations yeah. and shit. Yeah. I, I, it does feel like a very po- – depopulated prison camp um it feels too easy so, is when we get to the yeah. next part it feels easy um so they so he he puts caesar in a cage away from separates them from everyone else um and feeds everyone else but doesn't feed caesar meanwhile maurice and nova and rocket and gorilla to be looked up later um, they are trying to figure out how to help them escape and have found these tunnels underneath. And what they discover that's very chilling about the tunnels is that this is actually where the where some of these humans have tried to escape that were getting the virus and couldn't speak, that the, mm-hmm. the, the colonel was executing. We saw some of them outside the camp that they dug up in the snow. Um, and that's how, how that's that's what led the colonel to reveal his plan. Or what was going on to Caesar because he said, I noted that you killed your own men and they couldn't speak. But yeah, the colonel is literally hunting everybody because he is so – he's not going to let humanity take another step um, step backwards. So they are like starting to hatch this plan of like we can dig under this cage. We can dig under the children's cage. They're in a separate cage because they're not going out to work in the quarry. And then they're trying to eventually like communicate this to Caesar. Um, so at one point, Nova goes out, though, and tries to give Caesar water because Caesar hasn't had water. He's been hung up on the cross. He like He's like, hey, if he survives, we'll put him back with the others. But he's really trying to break him um, mentally, emotionally, everything else that comes through it. Um, but Nova is about to get caught when he goes to give water. Nova has this doll that she keeps on him. And rocket to save nova comes out and acts like a chimp who's just wandering around once again kind of doing the dumb monkey routine even though the colonel isn't really buying it uh which allows nova to run away and hide and go back to maurice uh rocket gets kidnapped after he punches donkey in the face the colonel's suspicious but the disruption allows nova to leave the important part though is that when they go let caesar out of the cage the next day um the doll's been left behind and and the colonel suspicious picks up the doll and's like what the fuck is this and caesar doesn't say anything and you know he goes about his business so at this point you know there is some like um they're 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 figuring out the mechanics of getting everyone out they're starting to alert people because they've dug a hole up to the top to say hey you guys are going to come out here here's where we're going to get the 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 girls but unfortunately there's some flooding or the kids 
unfortunately there's some flooding down um, down there and they can't get the kids anymore so they change their plan to get the keys from one of the guards which is where they do the shit flinging where they throw shit to distract him he gets all angered and they beat the shit out of him and take his keys uh, and then we have the prison break scene basically where um, that, sorry, they get that was the scene up. that annoyed me is where the guard is just like I'm going in the monkey jail I'm yeah. going in there alone I mean he did get some pretty gross shit uh, I would actually say I forgot one part when they put Caesar in the cage at first, which I think is the only like heartwarming, like, fuck yeah, we're going to do this moment of the entire movie is all of the apes look at him and they all lift their hands and do the, the circle, mm-hmm. which means like apes together strong. Yeah. And they all like that part's really good. It, it does imply a movie that doesn't end up coming, which I kind of like, where everyone, like, works together and gets out of it unscathed. But um, it's still a very, like, just a perfect visual, like, heartwarming, inspiring moment. Um, so anyways, callbacks to the previous movies where, like, if you, if you weren't there, like, you know, you'll probably get the, the general idea. But it has, like, emotional power piggybacking yeah. off the previous movies. Uh, well, and part of it is that when Caesar first came there and was working at the cap, everyone rejected him. Right. Because yeah. they're like, fuck you. you. Look what you've done to us. You could have led us. And now we're all dying in this prison camp. And so it's also to just note that like, hey, you, you fucked up, but we're apes together strong. We're not going to keep you as an outcast forever. So anyway, so there's this um, there. They, they break out. They are. Most people get away. There's a distraction, though, when the other army attacks at the same time, right? So there's just explosions everywhere. People are dying. I shared the scene of, like, Caesar getting shot with the arrow. Donkey finally, you know, going back to the side of the apes. Grenades getting thrown. They're about to leave, and Rocket is, like, telling Caesar to leave. And Caesar is like, no, I'm going to go kill Woody Harrelson. (laughs) Like, I, I, uh, I, I, I am Koba. I think that's where he's explicitly like, you're right. You called me Koba. I got angry. I can't get over my rage. I can't get over my hate. I'm going to go back. And he goes back and I think is one of like the most surprising but in retrospect most obvious scenes of this movie that really like got me. I was expecting a confrontation. I was expecting a conversation where Woody Harrelson says some like, you think you're this and there's a fight to the death. And it's, it's kind of the same way the Koba thing works. Uh, instead, he walks into the scene of at first you think maybe he's drunk and asleep. But he's not. He's bleeding out of his mouth and his nose and he can't talk. And he's holding his hand out to to Caesar. You don't know what he's saying. And Caesar looks over and sees that the doll. He sees the doll's covered in blood and he realizes that the doll, um, like, a, like a smallpox blanket, had the new virus on it. And now Woody Harrelson's had the worst thing ever happen to him. So now after all this, he wants yeah. Caesar to kill him. So he's kind of taken away that moment of revenge. Um, Caesar leaves uh, and all you hear is Woody Harrelson grab a gun instead and shoot himself in the head. Like, what a what a anticlimactic, just fantastic end confrontation that a two hour and 15 minute movie has been building up to. Like, it, this movie can has so many of those, like, surprises in a way that don't cause you to stand up and cheer, but just make your gut sink further into like how pointless all this is in a way that yeah. is just amazing. And I like that. That's the moment where I said like, which one of these is my favorite movie. I still have trouble actually now having watched all three of these in a row. That moment is the part that made me go. Maybe this one's the best because it is just like, wow, 
all this was a waste of time. Yeah, he doesn't even get his revenge moment. I think it's actually really telling to how these movies usually work um, because um, what you're expecting is a final fight like the Koba fight where it's like yeah. two parties who have a disagreement solve their disagreement through violence, right? Pretty yeah. standard movie ending, right? Yeah. That's probably 99% of movies. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's given up his, his last movies. chance at redemption, but at least you get to see him kick the shit out of the bad guy. Yeah, that's probably the, 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 the setup for 99% of these big action movies, mm-hmm. these these. Blockbuster movies is, you know, at the end, Optimus Prime fights, um, uh, Tony, uh, Razor, Tony, Tony Danza, Tony Danza. Um, you didn't see first night. (laughs) Um, night. Who cares? The, um, what was I going to say? Oh, but instead it's, it's subverting that by being like, Hey, this revenge that you wanted is actually this like ugly kind of sick thing. And this is like a pitiful being, that like you can you can just let this pitiful thing destroy itself like this this thing is a force of destruction eventually that destruction turns inward and um you know like i've got i've got problems with the way hollywood handles revenge stories because they're usually just so like don't do revenge it'll just make you sad in the end but it's pretty Um, cool pretty cool but, when you get to shoot that guy you hate yeah yeah that's usually hollywood doesn't really have anything don't do tweet. this yeah hollywood, the movies don't have anything to say right they're just yeah. like hey this might make you sad or it might backfire in an ironic way but you know it'll feel pretty good to chop this dude's head off right yeah um in this movie is at least pointing at something more interesting which is that like that like violent men tend to destroy themselves and become pitiful creatures and like let them let them do that let them rot yeah. and suffer a worse fate than just you know ending their their life via you know overpowering them i i think that there's 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 probably a good movie in one of these to like talk about how there's like individualized revenge versus broader revenge and how like yeah um you know like because like there's a million death wish. There's like five death wish movies and or six yeah. if you count the fucking Bruce Willis remake. Um, but if you uh, like none, a, a lot of them, he gets the revenge in the first part, and then like the direct revenge, the individualized revenge, which is putting a dangerous party out of out of out of commission, right? Yes, in the first movie, he does that right? Yeah, and then it becomes a a uh, a generalized revenge after that. Like I'm gonna against I'm society, gonna, I'm gonna operate an extermination across all yeah. punks. Um, and like, there's probably something interesting to say about how like like vengeance as a as a gap to fill justice you know maybe there's something there but vengeance as this tool to like um like you taking it upon yourself to like somehow control the rights and wrongs of all society is maybe something that like you shouldn't take on your own back (laughs) right yeah Um, here it's like at least pointing in something that like i really think is is profound which is like awful people destroy themselves eventually um i'm not saying you you shouldn't mitigate their damage or try and defeat them or try and get yourself out of harm's way but like this idea that that um these these people are just going to continue unabated and win 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 um is not really sound based on history um so well also you but he wasn't trying to defeat him very explicitly he was going to kill him for personal revenge not Mm -hmm. to keep it Everyone else is like, hey, maybe, okay, yeah, I mean, this will protect us, blah, blah, blah. So, anyways, he he leaves in an un... He doesn't get his satisfaction or what he thought he was. It was taken away from him. Um, he almost destroyed... 
the rest of his family to do something that was meaningless. Um, the other army comes, and again, you don't get the moment of, hey, they're saved because the other army immediately starts opening fire on the apes because they also don't like apes. Oh, no. Um, but you know what? It's a lot of explosions. They're in the fucking mountains. Uh, an avalanche comes. Um, and everyone runs up to the tree. Caesar barely makes it. Uh, and everyone else in the army, because here's the thing, the, the chimps are faster. So everyone else dies. Yeah. Like, what a, like both armies dead. I mean, as far as we know, most humans dead or has have have now the they have the disease. Uh, so then it goes to a cutaway of them, like you know, broken and hurt, walking towards their their resting place or their new home that Blue Eyes had found. Um, Caesar sitting talking to Maurice. You see, see that his arrow wound is still bleeding. And, and, you know, um, Caesar's like, I'm sorry, I won't get to see Cornelius grow up. And Maurice is like, I promise he'll know who his father is, which is a touching line. And then Caesar dies. And that's the end of his story. Like, it, it's... Um, he delivered yeah, people. He got them He got them through their exit. It's very Moses, right? To the he, promised like, land. He, he doesn't yeah. get to go to the promised land for his sins. I mean, that is, I mean, that li- literally is Moses. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, again, the even Maurice is pretty wounded and old. Rocket, blue eyes, everyone else is dead. You know, Cornelius is alive, but we spent no time with him whatsoever. And it is like, well, hopefully... This next gener- generation of apes will thrive because this one, despite its best efforts and its own sins, was not able to to escape the, the sins of humanity in some ways. Um, now, if you think this is a straight line to the other Planet of the Apes movie, you know that in some ways they survive and in some ways they build their own humanity error prone ridden culture. Uh, but I guess that won't be the case because we have an, we have another one coming out that does take place, uh, obviously without any of these characters, a set amount of time in the future. I, I am interested to see where that ends up leading. Maybe they like do they bring back the Icarus? Like I, I feel like they wouldn't make a Planet of the Apes movie without some human either antagonist or protagonist within it. So I'm, I'm interested in what they plan to do based on that. It would be pretty ballsy to make one of these movies about like trying to build a society uh, with yeah with ninety nine percent apes, right? But yeah, I imagine they'll have some sort of protect. But and then and then if that movie does well, they'll just remake Planet of the Apes, right? Um, but <laughs> that is the eventual plan. The eventual plan, yeah. But um, how do you do that ending though? But I want to. I want. Oh my god! Something. It was Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't do the Statue of Liberty thing. No. Um, it'd be very funny. What's the What's the ending of the book? Didn't you read say you read the book? No, I didn't. Because the ending, oh, the because the ending of the movie is the is a Rod Sterling. Uh, he sees yeah. the Eiffel Tower because he's French. Yeah, he sees he's French. Merci, <laughs> sacre bleu. Ha ha. Oh, wee oui, wee. Oui. They only have ha ha and ha ha. <laughs> Um, no, the Exodus, the Exodus thing, I think, points at what I'm, uh, I want to say is, like, my final thought on the, the series. Final thoughts on the series. Um, when I, we discussed one of the big turnoffs of this series was, like, it seems really Why, why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> why are you doing this? Seems hyper-literal. Like, yeah. 
you're gonna literally explain how we get to the planet of the apes like nobody wants this shit right yeah um and then eventually they were like, we're actually approaching you from a slightly different angle. Like, we're, we're not actually trying to get to the original movie that hard. We're just kind of, we're just kind of telling a story about um, man having a competitor for the land. But it, the first two movies are very literal. They're very yeah. focused on the nuts and bolts. This is what this vaccine does, or this, um, this genetic test does. This is what this disease does. Like, it's very literal. It, does, it doesn't... It doesn't allow for a lot of very obvious sort of symbolic, um, metaphoric kind of approaches the way that um, the original Planet of the Apes series, largely Conquest, um, Beneath, and and uh, regular Planet of the Apes, largely, um, allow for. Um, Escape from and Battle kind of, I guess, could fit in this mold, but they don't really fit my overall point, so I'm going to disregard them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's one thing that I find very interesting is that as this movie goes on, it kind of gets away from the literal and kind of points more towards this symbolic sort of epic um, myth making. Mm-hmm. Like um, this is a story that Caesar's grandchildren and great grandchildren will tell each other and about this grand exodus to this promised land um, that had been that had been, uh, you know, discovered by apes and conquered by apes as they tried to escape from their oppressors um, who imprisoned them, made them do do physical labor, not building pyramids, but building a wall, um, which took on more prevalence, you know, in the Trump era. But um uh, a madman cultist. I, I, def- I definitely felt like that had to be directly. It, it must have been, yeah. Like, um, why are they, they, they come with fucking Apache helicopters? Like, yes, exactly. Wh- why do they need the wall? Yeah, it's it's yes, exactly. <laughs> Which um, I mean, same thought. Why aren't they building? Uh, why aren't they digging out the mountain and building bunkers in there so they can hide from the rockets I mean, or something? Telling everyone that the wall is going to save them, and I mean, it feels. That's why I said it feels directly influenced by. I, I okay. The way that it works, that works literally, is that uh, he's a cultist who genuinely believes, like if you build it, they will come. Like I, like I need to give yeah. them a mission. How is that so not a? Par- but how is that not a parallel? Exactly. To, to, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it becomes yeah. metaphorical very quickly towards the end with the wall. Yeah. The avalanche is is a pretty obvious symbol as well for they've been the Red out. Sea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the and the, the Red Sea crushing uh, the Pharaoh's forces, yeah. um, like it's uh, obviously uh, you know the story of Exodus has is uh, been complicated by the numerous adaptations and and trimming down of, of pieces. And good Charlton Heston connection though. Yeah, good Charlton Heston connection because the Cecil B. DeMille movie. Um, and also similar to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, uh, don't generally enjoy comparing human beings to animals. Um, but the series spends so long <laughs> trying to get you to understand, like, these are people. They're not human beings, but they're people. The way that yeah. scientists are now talking about, like, dolphins and certain types of, of uh, simians and primates, they are they are people. They have complex social orders, complex intelligence. Yeah, they're not humans, but they're individuals. Yeah, yes, individualized people. Um, yeah. and, and they're talking about this with a lot of sea life, too, now, particularly, you know, dolphins and some whales. Like, um, Do your research. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, the point is that... Um, did we say do your research last episode? Yeah, is we that... did. Okay, no, great, great. Do your research. Do your so, callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> um, the point is that as the series becomes more more symbolic, um, I actually like have more faith in their ability to push into um, continuing to tell stories about human nature through 
non-humans um what is what is personhood what is what 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 uh um, baggage does caesar have to carry um into the new world and what caesar what baggage has caesar passed on from the human world onto this this new world um and how how good of shape are they to take care of each other and move on from the sins of man um But yeah, like uh, I, I think that the series ends up being for something that's like very simple, very simple, very clear yeah. in its goals. Like I think that ends and, up being- and it hits all the main bullet points. It's like we're gonna do. They lose their voice. Here's how they get. Here's how come there's more of them than humans. Like here's all how their culture. Like it, it, it's it's pretty impressive the way they everything on paper about these movies through all three of them are just seem like bad ideas that they get right. And I. I've talked already how much I love this series. I'm going to use my final thoughts of wrap up just a little bit like a 60 second soapbox segment. Um, I do think these movies are the ultimate example of like, uh, you know, people love to say, and I, I, I tend to push back against this, that like people hate the idea that Hollywood is doing reboots or prequels or another sequel and stuff like that, which A, is something Hollywood has always done, like study any of the history of Hollywood. I just watched all those universal horror movies. They fucking have like team ups and a long mythology. Like I said, they watch those eight Frankenstein movies and tell me you don't see like, Oh, this is basically like the MCU before there was an MCU. Like it, it really, really is. I mean, that's, that's a common thing. Books churned out sequels when they were popular. People try to, you know, how many Phantom of the Operas were there in the first like 20 years of cinema? The like, Wizard of Oz that we know is technically the second adaptation. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many of those. And I like the, the idea that that's a modern thing is so stupid. And like these are, as I said, these are on paper. They're a prequel to something that doesn't need a prequel. It's a reboot to a series that already attempted a reboot and spectacularly failed. And then there's sequels that keep trying to continue the story where it feels like you got lucky once. Why do you keep pushing your luck? And these are the ultimate examples that, like, if you have something to say and filmmakers or writers with a vision to execute and talented special effects artists that put in the work or talented actors, that not only is can you make real blockbuster level entertainment art with your prequels and reboots and sequels, but you can make maybe like one of the best trilogies of all time. Like I, you know, if I was to do like a top 10 trilogy, it'd be hard for me not to put this on it. These are, it tells a remarkably complete story. It is different than any other like series of movies that does something like this. Each one is both entertaining and heartwarming and thought provoking and sad. Like these are the platonic ideal of what mainstream Hollywood blockbusters should be. And it's done by something that again, was the, was a third attempt through a series that have been mined pretty clean by a five movie series and a, and a movie that, I mean, the distance between, um, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes and Rise is only 10 years. So, yeah. I mean, like it, uh, yeah, it, we don't have to, I, I think it's a wasted attempt to be so derisive of any attempt to, to, to make, um, to make another entry in a series. It's just about, you know, 
putting care into it. And again, this is the perfect example of like, I don't want to say don't judge a book by your cover, but I judged all of these and I was wrong every single time. And as such, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is my most anticipated movie of all time, although I have no idea if Matt Reeves is back or anyone involved, so it could be a big piece of shit. Yeah, that's I the think thing not. is now, Matt yeah. Reeves is now um, being um, um, catered by the uh, DC, yeah. <laughs> DC company and they're like, He's like producing that bat, that penguin spinoff, and it probably means he's working on the sequel with the Joker. And it's like, fuck, yeah. man! Like, he might get he might get pulled into that and just have to be like exec producer for Kingdom. Um, hey, bring but, Rupert Wyatt back! It's time for Wyatt to shine. It. We'll call it Wyatt not. Yeah, Wyatt not. Um, yeah. So we're gonna take a pretty quick. I mean, this was a great little palate cleanser post Spooktober, talking about some uh, blockbuster movies that we love. Uh, we're going to go to our well. It's it's uh, our our second most holy time of the year. If Spooktober is our most holy, I do think we have a ton of fun at Christmas. Uh, and we're doing it again. We're going back to a well. I actually think it's our first ever repeat. We've been able to do six Decembers with different themes. Mm-hmm. And this is our first return to the well. We never, we never even returned to the well of... Christmas horror movies, which was our first one in 2016, that and we I've thought got, was going to I've be an annual tradition. Like, yeah. There's a stack. There's a crop. Nice There's crop. a crop of Look at this crop. Christmas horror movies. But I had so much fun doing The Cursed Christmas just because the well is deep. Um, it lets a little steam out for us. It's it's a little Christmas treat for us. We, we're not usually a bad movie podcast. And this lets us do bad movies in a way that I think is compelling to us because part of being a Christmas movie fan, as both of us are, is that you're you're already enjoying a lot of bad movies and legitimately enjoying it because in the same way bad horror movies are like, well, at least you get the gore effects and you get this. Like the trappings of Christmas around this time of the year is something you and I have talked about many times, how much we enjoy it. So it is a cursed Christmas, but we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh Next week, I'm not quite sure the order besides the first and the last one, uh, but uh, we're doing Santa with Muscles, mm-hmm. which I think the pitch is that what if Santa Claus wasn't a pussy, was jacked, <laughs> <laughs> jacked up. Um, uh, How do we goose him? Do you think they put him in the goose, goose suits? Suit. Yeah. Yeah. Goose him. Uh, uh, Old circus technique. Yeah, Santa's with bods. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're doing Santa with Muscles, a movie that Peter and I have never seen. Um, we're doing Peter uh, Fred sue, sue us for saying that Hulk Hogan's wearing a goose suit. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're doing Fred Claus with guest Liam Haber, which we every other movie we presented to Liam that we were going to do initially, we're not doing. We picked all other movies because the slate, but we gave him a, 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 a series of movies. And he was like, very quickly, he wanted to talk about Fred Claus. So I... Fred, Fred, Fred Claus. I I think Kevin Spacey is the villain in that one. Is that why? All I know is the hero is ludicrous because it's Ludicrousmas. Is is he in... Is is, is he in Fred Claus? The song Ludicrousmas came from the Fred Claus soundtrack. Oh, I did not. I, I didn't know that. I've seen Fred Claus. I have no memory of it. Uh, and I remember thinking it was terrible. Although I did see someone I know on Facebook 
unironically posted it was great to have the kids back from the holidays gathered around watching Fred Claus. <laughs> like, oh my god. Uh, okay, but that's the fun thing about holidays. You, you've talked about this before. You never know what movie is going to like just be that family's tradition and I already found one that uh, is a tradition around Fred Claus. I forget, what was yours, Peter? You had a weird one that like you'd seen so many times because it was just your family's Christmas movie. Oh, are you, are you, you're not referring we to covered Mixed Nuts, are you? <laughs> I think I'm referring to mix nuts because, like, am I the, the the one that the one that I, I mean the, the one that my family watches like uh, incessantly is Christmas Vacation, but that's not a very very interesting one. It's uh, mixed nuts is the one that that we've all seen a lot because we like the DVD is in the stack and then. Yeah. We forget routinely every two to four years how, how bad, bad it is. Nuts We're like, yeah. I want to see Steve Martin be silly. So Bill yeah, loves really bl- loved mixed nuts. I don't know if he still. I know he was the guest on our show. Uh-huh. Peter. Uh-huh. That's how much I know that. Um, so yeah, we're doing Fred Claus. We're doing. We're bringing Ethan Warren back. Home Alone was not part of our first Christmas. It was like a uh, con- like. Uh, like classically considered Christmas classics, which with whatever you think of Home Alone, it is like a quintessential Christmas movie. Uh, and we talked about doing Home Alone 2 just because I – we're like, is it going to be too samey? But Ethan Warren is going to come back to do Home Alone 2, which I'm really excited about. Home Alone 2 is actually a movie that I watch every single year and I like it. I, I mean, I really do. I – I like Home Alone. I like Home Alone 2. I have did not like the newest Home Alone. Those are the only Home Alones I've ever seen. Um but yeah, we're gonna talk about Home Alone 2. We're talking about talk about a stacked cast. Tim Curry, Donald Trump, Rob Schneider, the big ones. Um and then we're gonna end it with something. Peter, one of Peter's initial ideas for this month is which is a joke that we've had for a long time. We did the Santa Claus movies in one Christmas spectacular, and we did all three in like one four-hour episode. And a joke that we've had forever is, what if we just do a month of the Santa Claus movies again and don't <laughs> do them individually and never reference that we did? We technically did all of them. Um, instead, a gift has fallen into our lap to not do that, which is they are releasing, as many of you know, a Santa Claus sequel TV show, limited series yeah. on Disney+. Plus. It ends it December sixteenth. It might retcon. It might retcon. Um, Do you retcon three? three? <laughs> I don't know if it does. I bet it doesn't. I bet it shows up. They have eight episodes to kill already. Um, the show. The show is already causing a little bit of controversy because Tim Allen a recently has been a meme for some old interviews about like, oh yeah, you hate God. Well, there's got to be a God for you to hate, which is like an old interview he gave to Norm Macdonald, but it's been memed to death in the last six months. Because Tim Allen is like the quintessential boomer dad uh, who all of his points are bad. He thinks he's smart and he's a complete idiot. We talked about that, about why we kind of love him. Yeah. <laughs> because he's For some so, reason, he is above scorn for me. He's above scorn. Like, I just think he's too dumb to be a threat. It's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like a puppy dog that pees on the carpet. It's like, well, I'm not going to put him down, but like, obviously, <laughs> obviously he's a problem. And if but I do it. It's actually more like an old dog. Yeah, that's what you're I mean. Not, you're not going to put him down for the peeing in the house thing, yeah. but you're not going to really put a lot of effort into 
training the dog not to piss no. in the house. And like, you know it's not soon. okay. No one's going to say it's okay. No one's going to go, yes, this is my ideal dog I would have in the house. But at this point, he's just been around forever. I wouldn't call him an old dog. I'd call him a wild hog, but that's just me. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're doing the, I think it's called the Santa Clauses. Yeah. Is that what it's called? The and Santa Crum Clauses? I think it's what it's called. And Crumholtz is back, baby. They're all in it. They're all back. Oh. Everyone's man. back. It's insane. Like the cast list is everyone who's been in one of these movies. I'm glad and, they don't um, hold a grudge against him for not being in Santa Claus 3. And the first, uh, the first two right. episodes. No, I got it. The first two episodes have already caused controversy because one of the lines is Tim Allen complaining that, uh, of course, they're trying to cancel Christmas. Kids want to cancel everything these days. Hell yeah! Uh, so I, I, I could not be more excited. I I'm sorry. For most people, would be like, Ugh, I'm not watching that show at all. That's what I, I want. Yeah, that's what I, I mean, want. That's what I want. That's what I, I want. want. I mean. Clearly, people that are expecting a higher bar of quality have not seen The Escape Club, <laughs> which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend. Make sure you catch up, because we don't I've, know. I've seen Escape, as we discussed in our special episode, I've seen, no. seen Escape Clause a lot. I find it to be a joyful enterprise. It's a horrible movie, but I have so much fun with it. I mean, Santa Claus 2 has robot Santa Hitler. I mean, it's a bizarre series. Yeah. Uh, Cannot imagine what they're doing with hey. eight episodes in Disney Plus budget money. It's Robo Mussolini. <laughs> okay, fair. Sorry. That is true. It's very Mussolini. Hitler <laughs> never had that much never. drip. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so cannot wait. It's going to be a wonderful cursed Christmas. And then, of course, we're uh, the last episode before the first of the year. Uh, we do every year's our best of 2021 with uh, with Carrie. So that's that'll be a fun way. And what are we doing 2023? Who knows? Mainly because we haven't decided yet. So you'll find out more when we do. Uh, Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) 